What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is r slash malicious compliance. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I tested out that Movo wireless microphone, uh, hooking it up to my computer. It sounds all right. I think part of it's the EQing. It's not hooked up. Like I have an interface from this mic to my computer so that I can control manually. I'm a button guy, like a knob guy where stop it, British people. Anyway, uh, where I can see the knob, I can turn the knob, I can set it where I want it, and it's good to go. Uh, setting things digitally is still a little bit above my mental capacity some days. So it sounds a little tinny to me. Uh, of course, you know, it's like comparing apples to, uh, you know, zucchini. It's a different type of mic. It's a different setting. Like this one's right up in front of me. The other one would be a lapel mic right here on my shirt. So, eh, it's experimenting so we're going to do a full video shoot with cherry and megan tonight about how we handle food for the household on the other channel and hopefully that'll be up live tomorrow memorial day so uh yeah keep an eye out for that if you're interested in the other channel and i'll get a link to that in our uh our channels list i think i might have put it up on this channel already but on the tech support channel i didn't i don't know vice versa i'll look but anything's going to sound better than the onboard mic from the phone so there's that all right, let's do some malicious compliance. Need me to stay back and cover a shift? This will cost you big time. This comes from about 15 years ago when I was, and still am, working with people with disabilities in a community home. It's a great job for those who like it, a terrible one for those who don't, meaning that any staff you meet are either very new or long-term like myself. As a consequence, the turnover rate of staff is high, and replacement staff are slow to be hired, meaning you often find shifts not covered straight away. This is an industry where simply not having a shift filled isn't an option, particularly where I work, in a house with single-day staff and a single-night staff, each working 12 shifts on a 7-day spread over 2 weeks roster. There are some strict rules regarding hours you can work, intended to avoid burnout, but more used to keep rain over time, which, in our industry, paid plus 70% out of your hourly rate for the first 3 hours above your 76-hour fortnightly maximum, and 100% for any time after that. You can't demand overtime, but if they require you to work longer, they can't not pay you overtime. Also worth noting is that the people we work with are vulnerable, meaning they can't be left unsupervised. Long story short, you can't go home until your replacement arrives. So back in the early 2000s, we were having problems locating staff. Lots of people working overtime and a lot of fresh faces appearing and disappearing. The house I worked in wasn't difficult in particular for adults with intellectual disabilities, but there was no support by which I mean the worker there had to fend for themselves. There was no supervisor in the next building. They were miles and miles away. I would frequently at this time have to stay back half an hour, an hour, waiting for staff to come replace me. I was less than happy with the way it was handled each time I called the office to tell them the night staff haven't arrived. Do you know who's booked? To which I'd get a reply, we're still looking. How late can you stay? The obvious answer was, until I'm replaced, but what I often said was, I prefer not to stay after the end of my shift, but that doesn't seem to matter now, so I'll stay here until someone comes. Each time a new face arrived, I'd give them all the information they need for the shift, introduce them, walk them through their duties, etc. This would take 20 to 30 minutes. 
The point being is I don't just jump ship when staff arrives to replace me. This is someone's home and I like them, so I'm not going to leave them in the hands of someone uninformed. Cut to that weekend. My roster had me working 12-hour days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Come Friday night, my replacement didn't arrive. I waited. I sent a text message to the supervisor after 15 minutes, then called after 30. Left a message, and when they eventually called back, I could tell they hadn't found a replacement. I told them I'd stay until they did. This was by that time, an hour after I was meant to finish. 10 p.m. Come 11, they call and say they simply can't find a replacement. They offer a deal, and say if I stay and do the night shift, I can take the next shift off. It's pretty even, so you won't miss out, they said. Then they changed their tone and said, it's not really a request. We have no other option. Treat this as a direction. I reminded them it was a passive house, meaning you got half the hourly rate from midnight, but you could sleep in the bed provided, so I'd actually be taking a pay cut. They didn't know what else they could do, so I made a suggestion. I'd stay and do the night shift, but I wasn't going to give up my next shift. I was going to do that one as well. They agreed. It meant they didn't need to find a replacement for me in the morning, so they thought it was a good deal for them. It was, however, an even better deal for me. It took a few emails over the weekend with the union to sort out the particulars, but what happened was this. Once I couldn't leave my worksite because of a lack of replacement, I was on overtime. As this overtime was because of a direction, not voluntary, it remained in place until I went home. Because I didn't agree to drop my following day shift, my overtime continued until I ended on Saturday night. The upshot being that working 36 hours in a row resulted in the equivalent of 60 hours pay. I was the first person to, as they say, pull this stunt, and word got around that if you didn't get replaced, you were actually the person who was in a position of power. It didn't take long until the department put a little more effort into training and employing extra staff, so something like this never would happen again. Not at least to me. So growing up with a brother who is in that vulnerable population, and he's lived in and out of group homes and things like that, a good portion of his life now at this point, he's four years older than I am, I understand a little bit of what's going on from both sides. The first part is having one staff member in a house really is not a great idea. It happened a lot. It still happens a lot. Uh, it depends on the house, I guess. It depends on your clientele, but you just never know when, let's say, they're going to make really weird or bad decisions. They're going to wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and make really weird or bad decisions. They could affect them, the other clients in the household, you as the staff member. Uh, most of the time it's nothing violent, but you know, it can be pretty gross or at the very least emotional and traumatic for the clients in the house. So there's that. Then a lot of these are, at least in the U S a lot of these homes are privately run companies who are contracted through the state <laughs> and you know, they do everything as cheaply as possible. They try to skirt the rules. Now, this person mentioned a union, so I'm not sure where that comes into play, if that's in the U.S. or not, if I don't know. Uh, but a lot of these people really aren't covered by any kind of union, and uh, you will be taken advantage of no matter what. Now, on the flip side of that coin is <laughs> you've got staff members who took the job because they needed a job. And I get that. I've been in that position before. But then they take it out on the job, the clients, the house. You know, I've heard tales of them throwing parties while their clients were supposed to be in their room, which they were in their room. Uh, they were definitely not allowed out while they were partying. I've heard tales of them and actually seen results of them abusing clientele because they're miserable. It's a, it's a crap job for people who don't want to be there and don't have a heart for it. And uh, yeah, they take it out on everybody else. So it's, it's a crappy situation all the way around. But a lot of these private companies who will contract through the state for this... They have no idea what they're doing. They don't run things well. 
and they damn sure don't set up the new staff for realistic expectations, which, again, will cause them to not show up, be late, quit all of a sudden, or just, you know, be abusive. And So, yeah, I feel for everybody in this situation, for sure. I'll meet the call count, but I won't make the calls count. I worked at a call center for a collection agency for nearly five years. Anybody that's worked in this type of environment knows that there are all sorts of targets that are expected to be met, be they daily, monthly, or whatever. One of our targets was to make a certain number of calls per day. I believe it was 120. Naturally, though, the more contact you would make with debtors, the less time there was to make other calls. It's usually not an issue, but some days you might make significantly more contact than others, and sometimes your call count might be like two-thirds of what it should be. We would get regular updates on the call count, and our manager would let us know if we were on track, and at the end of the day would give you the final results. I found it very annoying when you would have a successful day, collecting debts and generating revenue for the company, only to have a manager dwell on your call count. Any protest of, yes, I didn't meet the call count requirement, but hey, look at the revenue I generated today. It doesn't matter. The target must be met. Even if it wasn't a successful day, but I knew I still ended up spending much time in contact with these debtors in an attempt to collect a debt, I would ask managers to review my talk time to see that the efforts were being made to do what we were hired to do. It doesn't matter. The requirement must be met. Now, to be clear, a call only counted if someone picked up or the call went to a voicemail box that wasn't full. The system was unable to register events otherwise. Not in service, voicemail box full, rings out with no VM box or answer. Meaning, if you were to make hundreds of attempts in one day, only a fraction are registered. Everyone is aware of this, but it didn't matter to the company. Well, I was tired of the unfairness of it all. It also doesn't help that the company was grossly skimming our bonuses that my department's client provided to us as a reward for successfully collecting on these debts. It was really obvious when our bonuses became random numbers when it was only possible for them to be multiples of five. Frustrated with this literal theft and underappreciation of successful collection, the whole point of the job, I decided to comply with the call count expectations and never be under the target again. I created a notepad file with a list of all the telephone numbers that went straight to voicemail. Those are often numbers that have blocked us or presumably the owner of the number set up as away or something. From then on, I made sure to make 15 to 20 calls per hour that would register, implying that even more calls were being made that they just couldn't see due to the way the system registered calls. I would spread these calls out so my activity wouldn't seem suspicious and would spend all day reading articles on the internet. Naturally, the revenue I had been generating decreased by about 80%. How come you're not collecting? Well, manager, you can see I'm surpassing my call count target and my talk time is very low, so I'm just not getting the opportunities to do so. It should be noted that whatever I was collecting after doing so was really easy. The people whose accounts were received who could pay and wanted to pay anyway. Often these people would call us, so I just relied on that to make it appear like I was doing anything at all. They started giving me lower value portfolios to work, which is fine by me. You're stealing my bonus, the very incentive I had to do more than the bare minimum anyway for a paycheck. I honestly thought I was quitting, but no, I had a reputation as a valued member of our department and company, so no one wanted to fire me. I guess they just chalked up my lack of success to the shit portfolios they were assigning me. Steal my bonuses and dwell on a target that would be better judged as a marker of effort, rather than an end-all be-all, and I couldn't care less. I was getting paid to read. This went on for nearly two years until I had to leave for mental health reasons. I worked in a call center once in my life, uh, and it was for selling... I, guess, I think it was newspaper subscriptions. Uh, cold calling people, and this was back when the cards were filed, you know, index filed into boxes by area code uh, or zip code sometimes. And uh, yeah, what a miserable job. Now, 
try doing that and you can imagine how people get pissed off about getting a cold call about subscribing to you know the washington post or whatever it was at the time now let's see how those same people who owe money are going to react when you call them um no thanks i don't want that kind of abuse doesn't matter if they owe the debt or not uh when you start harassing them and things like that it just it doesn't get any better it gets uglier and yet another company like the one in the last story who is taking advantage of their employees in the situation and uh just being pretty much garbage human beings. I'd say a garbage company, but it's human beings that run it, so they make the decisions, and uh, yeah, it's all about them. You don't want to wait in the ED, if you insist. Don't know for sure if this fits here, but I thought you guys would appreciate what happened tonight. For starters, I work as a security guard for one of the few hospitals in our city. Besides dealing with combative patients and visitors and doing patrols around the campus, we occasionally get asked to assist with getting people out of their vehicles and escort them by wheelchair to the emergency department, ED, or their appointment at an on-site clinic. Today, a couple of nurses came to our office asking for our help. They had received a call from a gentleman who we'll call Gerald, asking for help to get out of their car as he was in severe pain. I went out with the nurses, pushing a wheelchair and radioing my partner to come assist, as it sounded like it was going to take some extra hands to help him out. It took a little bit for us to find him, but we found him thanks to him blowing his car horn for all to hear. <laughs> now, I've interacted with dramatic people before, and this guy was no different. He told us all about how he was in so much pain, how he drove himself all the way over here and couldn't move the car anymore, and how he needed to be treated. We tried to offer help, but he refused to grab our arms or hands to steady himself, relying on the car door and the wheelchair to get himself in it. Once he got himself settled, he asked me to move the vehicle to a better parking spot. After all, he had handicapped stickers and he needed the space to get in when he finished his visit here. So I obliged, feeling a little bit odd about the whole situation, and moved his car to a handicapped spot near the emergency department entrance. Gerald got checked in at the ED and we were done with the situation. At least that's what I thought. Boy, were we wrong. Not even 20 minutes later, I get told that this guy wanted to leave and wanted us to take him back to his car. Apparently, he started complaining and moaning about how the wait time was too long. Keep in mind that there were people in the waiting room who had been there for hours. The emergency department was very full today, and this guy couldn't stand being there for even a few minutes. I first checked with the ED staff because I was worried about the fact that he himself said he couldn't drive. They told me that since they hadn't triaged him and he wanted to leave so soon, they legally couldn't hold him here even if they wanted to, which they didn't care that much since they were already busy with treating their patients. So I went back out to the ED and asked him point blank if he was really sure he wanted to leave because I didn't want to be held responsible in case he drove and got into an accident. But he said yes, he wanted to leave right then and right now. So I reluctantly pushed him out of the ED towards his car. This is where my malicious compliance begins. Gerald starts saying, verbatim, when we get to my car, I'm going to call the ambulance. Me. Wait, what? Gerald. Yeah, going to call the ambulance. I can't drive and I don't like everyone here except you. They're too slow here and I'm not spending all night here. Besides, calling an ambulance will get me to a room quicker and I can get help with my pain. Me. So you want to call an ambulance to take you to the ED when you're already here at an ED? And all that because the wait time's too long for you? Gerald. Yeah. Me. You realize that if you call an ambulance, they may just take you back to the waiting area and have you wait there, right? Gerald. Yeah, I know that. I'm still going to call. <laughs> me. Well, okay, if that's what you want to do. So after helping the guy into his car, I decided to let him do just that. At that point, there was nothing else I could really do. After all, I'm just a security guard, not his doctor. So I just pushed the wheelchair back inside and went about my business. About 30 minutes later, I'm looking at CCTV footage, and right there, next to this guy's car, is an ambulance. My jaw dropped. The guy actually called 911 for an ambulance, and they came. 
I continued to watch as the EMT workers helped this guy into a gurney and place him into the ambulance. Then, to my utter shock, they drove off campus. I thought that they were going to drop him back off here, but they freaking left for another hospital? I then realized a couple things. One, this guy is going to another hospital and going to be gone for who knows how long. Two, when he gets discharged, he's not going to have a ride because, you guessed it, his car is over here at this hospital. Plus, our policy is that if a car is parked in our lot for a few days and we've confirmed that the owner is not here, we have to call the police and report an abandoned vehicle. So this guy is now getting additional costs added to his medical expenses because he took the ambulance, possibly to have to wait even more in the ED of another hospital before being seen, and may rack up some fines for abandoning his car depending on how long he's there, all because he didn't want to wait in the ED with everyone else. But hey, guess 20 minutes was way too much for him. Edit. Just found out the car was taken early this morning, so no car fines for this guy. There are a lot of Geralds in this world. Entitled. Self-important. They think they are above everybody else, and their pain is worse than everybody else's. Their situation, sickness, whatever, life circumstances, uh, put them above everybody else, and they should be elevated as such by the staff so that they get faster treatment and better treatment. And yeah, they just, they all want to be treated like they're special. And uh, no. Don't be a Gerald, please. The doctor I worked for paid hundreds of dollars to eat dinner leftovers. I worked for an orthodontic surgeon who constantly ate people's lunches and would leave $10 on the fridge. He really loved leftover home-cooked meals. <laughs> I don't get lunches off. I have to work to keep paying your salary. You can go buy another lunch, he would say. I hated him so much, but I got paid a lot. He was fresh out of his internship and residency, and he thought he was above everyone. We complained to the office manager. She went to the doctor and said we were all pissed about it. The doctor told her to deal with it. If the doctor decided to eat one of our lunches, we could have the office manager just order us something. This was amazing. There were two people besides me that had family and kids, so we always brought leftovers. If he ate my food, I ordered from the most expensive steak place in town. Appetizers, 22-ounce steak, three sides, a salad, and dessert. I'd eat the salad and the rest went home. And of course, there are plenty of leftovers to take to work the next day. The rest of the staff was doing the same, ordering full chickens, four to five different Chinese dishes, spending hundreds of dollars to replace stolen meatloaf sandwiches and day-old soups and spaghetti. The office manager went along with it. After all, he said we could order what we wanted if he took our lunch. It went on for two months until d hid Doc caught on. From then on, he had the office manager order him a lunch. I did miss trading off a cold pork chop and Spanish rice for a prime rib and all the fixings. Oh my god, I wonder if he's the richer cousin to Gerald. Anyway, yeah. It's the same thing. I'm important. You're not. I can do what I want. And really, I don't think he loves homemade leftovers as much as he's saying. I think it was a power play. You know, do whatever he wants. Okay, you want to do that? Then you're going to buy me a steak. You might buy me a lobster one day. Whatever. But at least he caught on after a while and, you know, played it smart. So I guess he is capable of learning something. Which some doctors I'm kind of curious about. All right, guys, thanks for sharing a little bit of your day with me. Uh, you'll see this today, Sunday, sometime uh, for some of my European folks. Uh, it'll probably still be Sunday, late Sunday. And for us here in the U.S., tomorrow's Memorial Day. I know it doesn't mean something to everybody, but uh, if you get a chance, you know, take a minute, stop, reflect for a minute, and think about those who uh, made the ultimate sacrifice so that we could all sit on the Internet and run our mouths or listen to people on the Internet run their mouths. Uh, just so that we have the freedoms we do today. Anyway, until next time, see ya.